I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton, I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this, that's the plan. How are you doing, listeners? Adam Buxton here. We're going to get straight into it today. This is podcast number 47, which features some conversational rambling and specially recorded music from one of my favourite bands, Spoon from America. Spoon will be playing in Manchester on Tuesday the 27th of June 2017 at the Gorilla Club, and I will be supporting them. Wow! I'll be delivering about 25 minutes of important comedy before Spoon come on stage. May or may not be making my Donald Trump joke, as described in episode 36 of the podcast with Claudia O'Doherty. I will also be supporting Spoon the following night, Wednesday, the 28th of June, when they play at the art school in Glasgow. And two nights later, on Friday the 30th, the band play in London at the Forum Kentish Town. I'm not going to be there for that show. I'll be away. Oh, I know. Londoners. Very disappointed at that news, but there you go. If you can't make any of those shows and you still want to see Spoon, they'll be back in the UK in early November of 2017, playing in Brighton, Liverpool and Cambridge. Maybe I'll get to support them then. I don't know. I guess it depends how it goes in Manchester and Glasgow. So if you're at those shows, please act as if my set was the most incredible thing you've ever seen in your life. Thank you. So this conversation with Spoon lead singer Britt Daniel, which features occasional interjections from band members Jim Eno and Alex Fischel, bass player Rob Pope was not around that day, was recorded in East London back in April of this year. And as well as some stories from me and some music chat with Brit and the band, you will be hearing three Spoon songs. Two from their new album, Hot Thoughts, and one from their previous also excellent album, They Want My Soul. All three great stripped-down versions recorded for this podcast with Alex Hayes, producer, engineer, sometime Professor Green collaborator and owner of the studio that uh, we were sat in for our conversation. Now, people sometimes ask me, what's a good Spoon album to start with, Buckles? And I would say Hot Thoughts is one of their best, and it's a good place to start. But I got into them at the end of the 90s when I heard their album, A Series of Sneaks, playing in Sister Ray Records in Berwick Street. And it sounded to me a bit like a lot of the music that I like, uh, Pixies, Minutemen, Fugazi. But over the years... Spoon have developed a far more distinctive sound that combines tuneful pop melodies with more of an experimental art rock approach. And you can also hear on some of their more recent stuff the influence of, uh, well, Prince, who Brit talks about a little bit, and some Motown and R&B I can hear in there too. I might mention a few more favourite Spoon records at the end of the podcast. And for Bowie fans, 
there's a special treat in the form of Brit and Alex Fischel playing a version of I Can't Give Everything Away, the last song on Bowie's last album, Black Star. And it's just a, a little demo they made while they were rehearsing for some shows they played as a duo. But Brit sent it to me after we talked about it, and I really, really loved it, so I thought I would share it with you too. You're welcome. But for now, here we go. We're here with Adam. Thanks. We're here with Jim Eno, the drummer for Spoon. This is Alex Fischel, keyboards hey. and guitar. We're also here with Alex. Alex, I don't know your last name. Hayes. Alex Hayes, yeah. who's running the studio. Sweet sounds. And what's the name of the studio? Rooftop. Off uh, Hackney, Road. Hackney Road. I just bumped into the whole of Metronomy standing on right. the pavement as I came in here. I saw they were here. Yeah. It was very good. It was like being in a you know rock and roll movie, <laughs> just bands lying around here and there. So last night, you were doing Later with Jules. How did that go? That's a fun show. Yeah. There was nothing else like it. First time? Our first time. It's first first time to ever be on TV in the UK. We've done it thousands of times in the US. Yeah. And recently in France, but never the UK. But yeah, I loved it. It was It's a great show. And uh, Where do they do it now? In Manchester? So So unique. Maidstone. Yeah, Maidstone. And Kent. And he's fun, isn't he? Did he come and say hello? He did. Hello, the Mighty Spoon. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, who else was on? Kasabian? Thundercat. Thundercat. Anderson Pack and the Free Nationals. So good. Yeah. I'd never heard him before. Some of these guys in the band knew him, but I didn't yeah. know of him. He's amazing. Phenomenal. And then what? Uh, Goldfrap. Goldfrap. Right. And so what happens then? You get there and do you rehearse in the afternoon? You're there for two days. So we rehearsed on Monday, came back for camera blocking on Tuesday morning, shoot Tuesday night. So by the time you do it, it's kind of the only thing that I've ever done in anything like it was Saturday Night Live. Oh, really? Because you, you're there for such a long time over several days. By the time you actually start doing the live show, you're very warmed up. And yes, and then it is genuinely live, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the very few shows like that, that that we have in this country, I think, that is actually live. It's exciting. Or all the other bands there for the two days as well. Yeah, but you have different call times, so we didn't run into all of them. We were there when Anderson Pack was rehearsing, and then... It's cool, like, as the other bands are playing, you're just sort of standing on your stage and watching them, and I don't know, it's just really loose, you know? Totally unique situation. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty fun. Oh, it is a good show. I mean, it's been around for a long time This now. is the 25th year. Christ, we're old. <laughs> I'm the oldest person here, I guess. How old are you? Do you mind me asking? 45. I dream of being 45 again. <laughs> Party time. The good old days. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel your age? So I'm supposed to at this point. Well, I was making old man noises as soon as I hit my 40s. You know, like every time you get up off the sofa. <sighs> And right. then every time you sit down, oh, all this stuff. <laughs> Old man noises. I was feeling my age when I was carrying that keyboard amp up the stairs over here. Yeah. Yeah. 
was feeling my age then. Plus, you're rock and rollers. You don't really take the proper precautions and look after yourself. Sometimes, no. We had a pretty brutal schedule the last two months. And, yeah. And right when we had our first week off of two months, I got sick right like a day or two before. Oh. It was perfectly timed for my management. Your body gets through on adrenaline for a maybe. certain amount of time. Yeah, maybe so. And then you crash as soon as you've got a window. The body goes, I see, I see you've got a week off next week. <laughs> I'm going to shut everything down. Uh, so I don't plan that on exactly what having any fun. I wrote you a fan letter. I remember. About 2004 or five. Okay. I think it's maybe the only fan letter I've ever written. And you did respond. Although it was very, I mean, it was like one line. It was very non. Did I email you? You emailed me, oh, yeah, okay. which I was surprised Because you wrote me an actual letter. Right? I wrote you a letter, typed yeah. it. Yeah. There's so much going on when someone writes you a letter like that. Mm-hmm. They've got their own agenda. They're trying hard to impress you or not say the wrong thing, but not make it too obvious that they're thinking about all this stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Trying to be cool. I remember I said something about... Your first album, Telefono, sounding a bit like the Pixies. Mm -hmm. And I was like, is he going to appreciate that? Maybe he's had criticism for it sounding like the Pixies. Maybe he's pissed (laughs) off with people saying it sounds like the Pixies. And then I said, it sounded to me like you'd referenced a song by the Damned, Anti-Pope. Uh-huh, yeah. On a track called Jonathan Fisk. Totally true. And uh, I really loved that song. And it was such an unusual, surprising reference. Yeah. And then we got in touch again, or you got in touch again a couple yeah. of years later. Yeah, well, I did a fan video for Don't Make Me a Target. Right. And then... Then you recorded me backstage at yes, the Borderline. Yes, that's right. That's where we first met. That's right. Yeah. So you played at the Borderline. It must have been 2007. And that was a really good recording, actually. It was like yeah. one of the top-watched videos of Spoon on oh. YouTube for a long time. Might still be. You played it very well. Well, you played a couple of songs, Beast and Dragon Adored and... Um, Black Like Me was the one. That, Black Like yeah. Me. It's so good. And that was, yeah, Backstage at the Borderline, which I think still is my favourite gig I've ever been to. I went with a friend of mine called Dougie, who's in the band Travis. Oh, that's how we met Dougie. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, a really small venue, the Borderline, for those not familiar with it. Sweaty little club, you know. And so we were about four people back from the stage. The sound was really good. It was pretty much all the songs that I, I mean, I really like that album anyway. Ga, 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 ga. And so you were playing a lot of those tracks. Right. But wow, it was so good. It was one of those gigs where I was stood there and you played about four or five songs before I looked round at Dougie, you know. And we were like, this is great. This is really good. Why don't you introduce the first song? Yeah, this first one is Hot Thoughts. It's the title track. And you got a reference to Shibuya in here. Yeah, yeah. Is that somewhere you've spent a lot of time in Japan? No, but I, I was there recently. But my girlfriend was there last year and she couldn't sleep was out walking around on a busy street late at night like at two in the morning apparently there are a lot of people out and some japanese guy stopped her on the street and told her what beautiful shining teeth she had hmm. i thought that was an interesting way of hitting on my girlfriend look at your beautiful teeth your, your teeth are usually so when someone says that to me yeah <laughs> you what, what what is it usually what's usually happening uh no it never happens oh, okay it's um, never i'm british Um, Okay, so here is a specially recorded version of Hot Thoughts. Hot thoughts melt in the mind, cook 
of the same name good artwork by the way who's that christine messersmith just a friend of mine i didn't know she was an artist but she i was looking at her instagram uh-huh. last summer and, and she started putting up these watercolors and i saw that one i said that looks like a record cover yeah it's been going down very well the new record hasn't it has it yeah good Don't well i feel, can't really tell do you not feel well i'm in the middle of it you know does it feel to you like this is the one this is going to be the one that pushes us over the top not that you need pushing over the top because you're doing very well but do you crave like being pushed into some mysterious mainstream super zone? It'd be cool to have a hit. What would you do though if you were a band that was suddenly in the top 10 around the world? Right. Obviously you'd be making more money, that would make things easier in lots of ways, but apart from that, if your profile was raised to that degree, you must surely consider all the drawbacks and all the things that wouldn't be so fun about that. I don't put a lot of time to considering that. Do you know? You know not really. I remember this one time when we first were um, offered a record deal by 
Geffen, you know, right when we first started. And I started thinking about artists on Geffen, and I was like, do I really want to have Courtney Love's lifestyle? But I was really getting ahead of myself, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't really, I'm not that worried about it. We've been in the top 10 in the US, what, for albums? Yes. Yeah, but you mean like a single? Having a, a sort of Coldplay level of yeah, success yeah. and acceptance and recognition around I'd probably the world. get to fly private for the first time. What, in a private jet? Yeah. Have you never been in a private jet? No, have, have you? I have. Okay, yeah, I've never done it. I hadn't earned it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was because I had a rich friend oh, yeah, at yeah. school. And on the way to the airport, we were riding in convoy with various members of his family. I was riding in the car with his dad, and he was riding in the car behind us. And this was pre-internet, just pretty basic mobile phone technology. As we were leaving the house, because I was staying with them, I saw that my friend had left his passport on the table on the side in the corridor. And I thought, what's he doing? He better not leave us. I thought, I'll take it, but I won't say <laughs> that I've got it until we get to the airport. And he's going, oh, my God, I've left my passport. And I'll be able to go, it's OK. I've got it. I'm a genius. And everyone right. would be patting me on the back. Right. And it would be like, hey, thank goodness we've got Buckles on holiday with us. Oh, hooray. What would we have done without him? Buckles. So then... Uh, we're in the car going to the airport. And my friend's dad was looking behind. He was like, where the hell's the other car gone? I told him to stay right behind us. Now we're going to be late. <laughs> and he starts shouting at the driver. He's like, I told you to keep them right behind us. What are you doing, you idiot? <laughs> and I was like, I was thinking, oh, I'm glad I'm not the driver. This is bad. And then he, the driver gets a call. The other car's just called. They've had to go back because um, your son left his passport. Right. So I'm sitting there, my blood's turning to ice. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, no. And I said, oh, uh, I saw it was on the side. I've got it, actually. Well, you bloody idiot. What are you doing? Why didn't you say anything? For Christ's sake, why would you pick up his passport and put it in your pocket? What a ridiculous thing to do. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, why are um, you riding with him instead of your friend? I don't know, because it was all, uh, you know, everyone was leaving in a fluster and right. it was like, well, just you go ahead. And, right. Know, it was bad. So the flight in the private jet was considerably less celebratory than it would have right. been otherwise. Yeah. Right. I was yeah. just sat there trying to look small, like, oh, this is embarrassing. But it was still pretty fun. Anyway, so <laughs> if you do get to go in a private jet, don't do any uh, hilarious passport right, right. Uh, practical jokes. Got it. Top tip. <laughs> um, one of the things I like about your lyrics, Brit, is that you work in lots of little references to things here and there, and it's fun trying to sort of decode them and imagine what they refer to. Mm. Sometimes you're quite overt and very specific in a way that few bands I can think of are. The obvious example being Agony of Lafitte. Short version of the story, you were dropped from Electro Records right. after your second LP came out, Series of Sneaks. First one with them. And he quit the label, and, and then we got fired that week. And this is a guy called Ron Lafitte, an A&R man. Yeah. You felt as if he had gone back on a promise that he'd made. He had, to yeah. What did you feel that he reneged on? Well, he tried to sign us for a very long time, and we went through all of the issues of what our concerns were for signing to a major label. He was like, I got it. I'm going to help you through this. And then once we signed the deal, we just didn't hear from him, really. 
And uh, I think after the record came out, we I couldn't even get him on the phone. And then he quit the label. And then we were dropped the week that he quit. That he quit. So I felt like, yeah, he had gone AWOL and uh, left us out in the cold and, and it really fucked us over. You know, I'm over it now, but it helped to put out those two songs, you know. Right. So when was that? Like a year later or something that you did the song? Yeah, less than a year later. You yeah. got straight on it. Yeah, we did. It was <laughs> motivating. Once we had the titles, we it was motivating, you know. Well, exactly. He his name was uh, Lafitte, and so you had fun with the song titles Lafitte Don't Fail Me Now and The Agony of Lafitte. Both really good songs though. That's the thing that surprised me was that you could sympathize with the impulse of just wanting to bitch about someone, but usually that's not the best impulse to write like an actual enduringly right. good piece of music. It is a hard thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. But was there a consensus among the band that that was a good thing? Or did you not think, like, well, maybe we're going to be burning bridges here, especially as you're naming the guy specifically? You're even talking about, in the chorus, name-checking Sylvia Roan, who was the boss of Electra at the time. Mm-hmm. The lyrics are really quite vitriolic. asked of you is a copy of garage days what is that the album by metallica metallica yeah, which was a hard it, it was out of print at that point and was that one of the things that ron lafitte had promised you yeah it was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one i wasn't as worried about but 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 he yeah he didn't come through on that either all i ever asked of you is a copy of garage days and to tell me the truth ain't no one watching you exit ventura highway it's like i knew two of you man the one before and after we shook hands taking the calls but in all forgetting what's been said and it carries on in a similarly bitter vein right 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 was no one saying to you maybe you don't want to there was there were a couple people we we still had a manager at that point and he he and didn't maybe even our lawyer too were both like i don't know about this (laughs) right um it's not about burning bridges but about there being some kind of lawsuit or something right Uh and i said i don't think there's going to be a lawsuit we got to do it and was there ever any comeback from them uh no not really have you ever not really yeah did they ever reach out and say hey that wasn't very nice did lafitte yeah no 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 but he's been interviewed about the band many times and and honestly every time that his name comes up in a piece that where he's joining a management company or switching jobs it's always like it always references that song um does that make you delighted (laughs) i mean i really am over it at this point and all the the quotes that he's given in the press have always been right on he's like you know i did let them down maybe he has to say that i mean it's it's definitely we we got to where we needed to be sure it was a great thing to do it gave a because we were we were bummed and a little bit embarrassed you know and and also felt like well we've blown it we'd been on this Great independent label. The record didn't do well. We were on this big major label. Which was the independent label? Uh, Matador. Right. Uh, We were on this big major label. It didn't do well. And then I kind of felt like I'm probably out of the record making club. I'm not sure if we're going to get to do this anymore. But putting out the single, it just kind of gave us a kick. Mm. And in giving us a kick, it kind of gave us this story that sort of turned things around for us. And there was a piece in the Village Voice about 
the band and being dropped and in re relation to the single and how great the single was and it was like the first story that anybody could ever latch on to about us you know right it is a break, it's a break, it's a break in the podcast. It is a bit between two other bits. It's a break, it's a break, it's a break in the podcast. It's like a necklace between two tits. It's a musical break, it's a pause in the podcast. Stopping one bit from merging with another bit. Break, 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 break in the podcast. Kind of like a bum crack track. You were a sound designer for video games. That's right. When was that? Right after college. Hmm. My first job out of, uh, at a university of Texas. What were you studying? Audio production. Right, okay. Yeah, so it was a real good bit of luck because uh, I didn't have any experience with digital. Like, I was just working with tape before then, and then all of a sudden I got thrown in, got this job, got paid to learn how to do digital audio, and that was good. Um, it was the best job I ever had, for sure. Really? Very chill. Yeah. Nice work environment. Were you just working with a small group of people then? And It was a pretty big company, maybe 100 people there. Mm-hmm. And they're all just focused on making video games every day and playing video games every day. And it was cool. Are you still a gamer? Not really. And so you were just coming up with sound effects and stuff? Yeah, just sound effects. I didn't even make music for them. There were other people there that didn't. It was, it was an amazing company. Yeah. You know, an amazing job to just make sound effects. Was the bigger picture always to make music or not really? Yeah, it was yeah. for sure. So while I was doing that amazing job, I was taking advantage by spending you know half the day making flyers and printing them up on the paper from the company you know it was designing them and then printing. and was that the alien beats then uh at the f beginning it was alien beats and then it was spoon yeah okay spoon um is that the can track yeah 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 that's a good song isn't it it is a good song and what were you doing when you first started a band then were you just trying to be as original as possible or were you just getting into a sort of finding your feet by imitating your heroes what this band yeah or? well your band yeah yeah um mm, yeah i was definitely imitating my heroes and but, who were they uh the pixies right <laughs> and um the beatles and uh prince although i don't really think that that it, it came out we actually covered prince back in that time which prince song we covered party up aha uh -huh. which is an amazing song don't listen to our version though it's a little it's a <laughs> well, little maybe w w was it the sort of falsetto that you were going for i loved that yeah 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 that was always like an ingredient that i knew i should use you know at some point and finally with i turned my camera on it finally happened mm. and it was it was it wasn't didn't feel like a a lightning bolt or anything it was like oh i'm finally going to do this thing i've been meaning to do sing a song all in falsetto you know um, it's a formula for for a single really you know uh-huh it's just such a great element. And then you've got your sort of growl, your barky, shouty voice as well. Right. Um, does that not strip out your throat? Sometimes it makes me raspy. Yeah. Yeah. At the, by the end of a show. Do but you have to do special exercises? I don't really do any exercises unless I'm going to go on TV, then I'll specifically try to warm up. Right. I'm pretty lucky. My voice is pretty strong and I can do show after show and not lose it. Yeah. The only time I lose it is when I'm sick. You uh -huh. know? And then there's like you know sinus stuff going on then i then i yeah. lose it let's introduce the next track yeah. that you're going to play the next one is i ain't the one i ain't the one and this is also from the new record right what can you tell me about this either of you this is the first song i worked on with you yeah for for hot thoughts i wrote the chords alec came up with the vibe yeah it was acoustic guitar and then we yeah changed it ditched that late one night after a south by southwest show yeah it was a fun night it was 
we had a few of those where we yeah. would uh get coffeeed up keep drinking and um stay up late yeah just try out different versions that's a good time for working an optimal time is it it's a good time for certain parts of working. It's not a good time for me for uh, coming up with words or maybe the original ideas, but it's good for getting those ideas and turning them into something that's uh, got a feel to it, you know. What about early mornings? What happens then? Early mornings, is um, it can be good for uh, starting off fresh and starting out without any, you know, kind of being that sort of hazy state where... You're not fully awake and not fully into that very mindful state yet. Mm -hmm. And that's good. Yeah. Sometimes I try to take advantage of that. I've always been fascinated by how people can write lyrics and just get out of themselves to that degree. Yeah, it's and, hard. And not just be embarrassed by... It's a bit like what I was saying about writing fan letters. You don't want the listener to be able to decode all the thoughts that are going into the lyrics too easily. I try not to worry about that. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. So you're just going for the sound of the words, are you? No, the meaning matters too, but there's been so many times when I've been stuck on a specific lyric trying to come up with this meaning for this, you know, this next line should mean this because it relates to that and I'll try it and try it, try it for days and days and then, and then at some point I'll just go, uh, this isn't where I, you know, like, okay, I'm just going to play the song and then record myself just singing some syllables and then that will turn into something that's so much better than um than what i've been trying to come up with it might even make more sense you know it really does work like that it's hard to let go sometimes you know? yeah so yeah just noises and blue blah, blah did you listen to the uh reissue of remain in light where david byrne and brian eno were on the left and right channel? no they had an instrumental track and they were both just doing that just making sounds like and they had one little phrase which was dancing for money it was really interesting to hear their different approaches to how they covered and where this was this was go. these were vocal takes from back then that they yeah. hadn't used and now they're, they're showing it to us yeah yeah oh that's cool were they doing them together or did they do separate they, they did them one at a time, at and, a time they, yeah. and they panned the passes okay. left and right cool. oh yeah i gotta hear that yeah. it's very interesting yeah, i mean cool. it's not a piece of music you'd want to listen to over and over again right it's very interesting with that record how actually the outtakes are really not that great they got all the good stuff and they put it on the record right, right. yeah, yeah. But I guess the way that that record was made, perhaps, with them just jamming, mm -hmm. meant that... They were very selective about what they ended yeah, up working on. because the danger was obviously that they would be very indulgent and yeah. you get these tedious jams that go on forever and ever. And yeah. actually, no, they'd honed it and really worked on it. It's fascinating. Anyway, here's <laughs> I Ain't The One. Sorry about that long detour. I say, well, I ain't the one 
There we go. That was I Ain't The One from Spoon's new record. Well, that's, there we go. that version is not. That's a special exclusive version, specially recorded for this podcast. Yeah, oh, just man. did it. I'd just like to say at this point that I'm very grateful to Natalie Judge. Uh, she's at Matador, right? Yeah. And she's been so helpful setting up this podcast yeah. and uh, booking a studio and getting you guys and so thank you to her as well as to all of you it was her idea i mean we've known each other for a long time but we just uh never, yeah we never put I'm, it together i'm delighted <laughs> now you guys i maybe i've benefited a little bit from the fact that i feel like you're anglophiles especially you to some degree brit right sure you seem to like a lot of weird british stuff which i think most americans probably wouldn't be aware of things like the young ones yeah well the young ones for sure 
Yeah, when I was growing up, like in the 80s, that's, that was everything that I was super into was, was it seemed like, was British. I don't know, they kind of owned rock and roll for a long time, the Brits. There were only 12 episodes of The Young Ones, but somehow it was a major movement, you know, amongst my friends in high school. Where you were know? you watching it? It was on MTV oh, on my. Sunday nights. And, there's you know, only 12 episodes? There's only 12 there? episodes. Because I remember watching six, that too. Six that's, per that's season, crazy. two seasons. Wow. And, you know, I think I have pretty much all of them memorized. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, I would put it recorded on VHS and I would just watch it over and over again. Yeah. And, you know, pick up on little bits of the culture that first time I actually heard of Jules Holland was on The Young Ones. Right. Because he did a subterranean homesick blues with some band that he was the band leader for. Yes. Who would that have been? It was like Jules Holland and the something. Stuart Copeland was in the band. Uh, and they were one of the bands that played on The Young Ones. Yeah. I don't remember. I remember Nine Below Zero playing. Yeah, they that, they're the first ones, right? Yeah, and... Um, the Damned. The Damned. Motorhead. Yeah, that's right. Madness twice, I think. Uh, Dexies, they were on yeah, there, yeah, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, They even played Come On Eileen, didn't they? No, they played the um, Van Morrison song. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jackie Wilson yeah, said. Yeah, What's your favourite episode? What's the line that... Oh, I don't. The line. rings round your head when you think of the young <laughs> uh, one. There's someone it. at the door, Rick. There's someone <laughs> at the door, Neil. Yeah, that's pretty good. I just loved how they were calling each other bastard all the time. Yeah. I never heard that on TV. Yeah, you know? bastard. Yeah. Relaxing with a group of people, sitting round the cool and jazzy sofa. Everybody's eating cake and pies and crisps and sipping fizzy pop from cups. Relaxing with a group of people Sitting round a cool and jazzy sofa Everybody here is eating cake pies Sipping fizzy popcorn cups There's a question for all of you chaps So I'm interested to know what kind of music you're into Who are the artists that you keep coming back to? Alex, we'll start with you David Bowie Are you all Bowie fans? Oh yeah What's not to love? I heard that you were even doing a cover of I Can't Give Everything Away. Yeah. yeah. You've done, done that, that live, have you? Yeah, we, we did it in Mexico. At a duo show. We yeah. haven't done a... Spoon hasn't played it, but Alex and I have played it. And we, we've done it a couple times, like radio stations, yeah. I think, as well. And that's the... For, for non-Bowie heads, that's the last track on his last LP. And um, it's such a lovely song, yeah, and it beautiful. seems to be him sort of tying up loose ends in so many ways. Mm-hmm. The melody is so great. Yeah. It's just heart-wrenching, you know? Yeah. And some amazing chords, really unexpected chords. It's such a good He's record so good as well, that. isn't it? Black Star, like, in the 90s, every single album that came out, everyone would say, oh, it's back to his brilliant best. Right. His best since Scary Monsters. And it never was. Right. And the same thing with the Rolling Stones, right? Right. Yeah. But then Black Star really was good. Yeah, it, was it really good. is. It was, like, properly good. So were you, how did, were you gutted when he passed away? Yeah. I, I've never been affected by like somebody, somebody, yeah. like a celebrity figure like that. You know, like they're they're passing. It's it's upsetting, but this one was affecting me emotionally, yeah. and that was surprising. I've tried to think about since then who, because sometimes you know celebrities pass, and you know I love Bo Diddley, but Bo Diddley passed, and I, you know, I was like, okay. I think when you, Iggy Pop passes, yeah, yeah, just especially having seen that show we saw. It, Telegram. Yeah, that yeah. he's just just like the, his energy. And he, he's a treasure. To see him do what he does and see him run around the stage is just this force of good, you know. Yeah. To see that and then to have that leave Earth will be a, 
That was a sad day. It's amazing that Iggy Pop just made it, didn't he? I mean, he's one of the most sort of self-destructive people ever in music. All the ingredients were there for him to just completely yeah. implode. Yeah, and he's still going. He's still going. Yeah, and still... And going strong. Yeah, bringing a lot of energy. Yeah, he's just got a bit of spare skin. <laughs> That's the only difference. <laughs> he can just use it as pockets. <laughs> but other than that, it's the same guy. Um... What are your... I heard you were listening to Lodger a lot. Was that recording this record? Yeah. yeah. We're sleeping in the same building as the studio, yeah. this farmhouse out in the middle of the woods. But uh, there's a in the common area, there's a CD player there, and that's the only way you can listen to music. So we were burned CDs, but we didn't burn too many of them. One of them was Lodger, and so we kept listening to Lodger over and over again. There's like a Kinks comp, the OCs comp, John Coltrane. Miles Davis. James Brown. Uh... Was it a Talking Heads more. comp? Yeah, there was a yeah. Talking Heads, yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. Our producer did not like hearing Bowie as he walked through. Yeah. Why not? He didn't. He, he was fed he, up. He, so very surprisingly, Dave Fridman is not that into Bowie. He's like, he's a weird, you know, he has eclectic taste. Um, uh, who else has Dave Fridman worked for? He's, he's done, does he do the Flaming Lips? Yeah, all yeah. the Flaming Lips records. Right. Um, and he's MGMT. your producer on Hot Thoughts. And the one before, yeah. MGMT as well. Yeah, mm. MGMT. Uh, what else? Some big ones. Uh, he did Low, a Tame Impala record. Low. Low. Kitty, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he would just relentlessly I think, make fun yeah, of. Yeah, he says like two musical theater. Yeah, yeah. I'm always amazed when people use that criticism about Bowie because I just think that is, you've missed the point. The great thing about him was that he had it all. He was silly and camp and over the top and musical theatre, but there was so much substance there right. in the music. It stood up completely on its own. It would have been good even if he was a totally boring guy. Right. But the fact that he wasn't a totally boring guy just made it even more enjoyable yeah, yeah. to be in that universe. A lot of different levels going on. How about you, Britt? What are the bits of music that you keep coming back to all the artists <clears throat> who never let Prince you down? Prince a lot. Yeah. Prince uh, is a big one. You know, the, obviously the Beatles are timeless. Um, the Cure, the first four albums mm. are amazing. The sixth album is amazing. I don't really like the fifth one for some reason. Which is the fifth one? <laughs> the Top Oh, yeah. It's, it's pretty good. The top's got some good stuff. But on I'm it. just saying, Head on the Door is just absolutely stunning. And that's yeah. the sixth one. But the, And the first four are just all have such an incredible vibe. Um, it's a real inspiration. You're a Van Morrison fan as well, right? We've covered Van Morrison, but. Um, Which Van Morrison have you covered? Jackie Wilson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which I learned from the young ones. Ah. Yeah. Yes, because there's a definitely a sort of Van Morrison feel to the underdog, at least. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah totally true. I, and I thought about, I realized that as I was doing it. Yeah. Van Morrison and I, the other thing I thought was like um, Simon and Garfunkel, keep the customer satisfied kind of mm -hmm. feeling, yeah. How about you, Jim? What, what are the records that you keep coming back to? I don't know. We recently had this tour manager that we really loved who tour managed Morrissey. So I've been listening to a lot of Smiths. Yeah, we recently. heard a lot of Morrissey stories. In the yeah, a lot of months. Morrissey stuff. He's amazing guy. And Alex kept playing this charming man on guitar over and over and over. So, so now they're kind of covering it. It's lost its luster a little bit, to be honest. <laughs> How's your Morrissey Alex? impression, Britt? <laughs> uh, it's pretty good. What was that thing? What was that line? Um, Punctured bicycle. Punctured bicycle. <laughs> 
on a hillside desolate. Will nature make a man of me? (laughs) I love the Smiths. You know who else I've been listening to is um, The The. Oh, yeah. Because I found out that didn't Jules Holland play the solo on like Uncertain Smile yes, or something? That's right. That crazy yeah, piano. That so I went back and listened to that when I found out we were playing Jules Holland and Good Solo? And amazing. What like, album is that on? Uh, it's not Dust. Soul Mining. Yeah, Soul Mining, yeah. It's very yeah, good. Really, really good. Yeah. Dogs of Lust, like that song. I think that's an amazing song. That's a good title. Are they well respected over here? Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Matt yeah. Johnson, he's great. He was yeah. always well respected. I think was he? Yeah, always a lot, a lot doing better known here. Stuff. I think. Yeah. Oh, is yeah. he not that well known? Mind Bomb was that did pretty well, um, but it was always sort of like a you might hear him on 120 minutes. Yeah, fringe uh, kind of. Yeah. thing. never never had a real. 120 minutes was this video show on. Sunday I remember. Night. Yeah, yeah. With Matt Penfield. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Later on, yeah. Living in Temple, Texas, that was how you found out about new music. It was 120 minutes. Every now and then there'd be a, an, an enemy at the bookstore, you know, but that was it. Tell us about your final track that you've played for us. Played for you. This I'm last trying, one is Rainy Taxi. It's, Rainy a, Taxi. it's a, a different arrangement of this song from uh, the last record. They want your soul. They want my they soul. They want my soul. <laughs> they want my soul. Okay, here we go. This is Rainy Taxi, especially recorded for the Adam Buxton podcast by Spoon, or at least three members thereof. Thanks, Buckles. You're welcome.
This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Continue. There we are. Thank you very much to Britt Daniel, Jim Eno, and Alex Fischel of Spoon. Hope you enjoyed that. Thank you also to Alex Hayes at Rooftop Studios over in East London for uh, engineering that session. And thank you especially to Natalie Judge, once again from Matador, for getting the whole thing together. Thank you, Natalie. I really appreciate it. Uh, I was thinking maybe what I should do is get it together to do a Spotify playlist of some of my favorite tracks as a primer, a spoon primer. And I will put that on my website, adam-buxton.co.uk, if I can figure out how to make the Spotify playlist. You would think that a muso bore like myself would be all over that kind of thing, but no, I haven't done one so far. Anyway, I'll try to do that. And I'll also put a link there to um, the videos that I shot of Brit back in 2007, the first time we met backstage at the Borderline. Anyway, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, here is a, uh, a previously unheard demo of Brit and Alex Fischel from the band rehearsing David Bowie's I Can't Give Everything Away. And they were doing this because they played a few shows just as a duo, and, and this is one of the tracks they covered after Bowie died. But I think this is a really lovely version. I hope you agree. Uh, thank you very much for listening and downloading. The podcast will return on a regular weekly basis towards the end of September, early October, I think. Um, but there may well be another kind of one-off slightly different uh, podcast coming your way in the next few weeks. So, till next time we share the same aural space, please take exceptionally good care. I love you. Bye.
something's very wrong The pulse returns for prodigal sons The blackout hearts, the flowered news With skull designs upon my shoe I can't give everything Subscribe.